I am your host, Antoine Medley. Join me here on the Force Pivot Podcast as I, along with guests, explore how we ride this roller coaster called life. How we try to deal with the force pivots of life that we all face each and every day. No life is lived in a straight line, and learning how others deal can be therapy for us all. Listen, subscribe, and share our show with others. Let's go. Hey, good people. Welcome back to the Force Pivot Podcast. I am your host, Antoine Medley. I want to welcome you guys back to the show. Um, this is our second episode of season two. Um, I know it's been a couple of weeks since I did the first episode for season two, but I've been traveling a, a ton for work and, you know, back and forth to Chicago and in the cold weather and back here to North Carolina. So, you know, I apologize for the for the for the amount of time in between. But, you know, I definitely want to make sure that I that I come back with the new show with the new host, you know, because one thing that just dawned on me about right. 30 minutes ago is that today is the anniversary of the show today. Um, a year ago is when we, we did our first show and, and that, that struck me today. And I was like, wow, I cannot believe that it's been a year. You know, it's been a year of shows. I think we may have like 25 or 26 shows or something like that, but I can't not believe that, that, that I've been doing this for a year, you know, and my, my goal is to, you know, work on my pipeline of guests so that we can, you know, I can make sure that we come on a more consistent basis, you know, except, you know, when, when work calls and I'm back in, you know, windy, cold Chicago, which hopefully the winters will be, you know, winter may be over. I don't know. It's It's been sort of mild for them up there, but I was up there about two weeks ago and it was freezing rain. You know, I left, I left North Carolina one morning. I took an early bird flight up there. And when I got on the plane, it was 53 degrees here in North Carolina. When I got off the plane in Chicago, it was negative three. And luckily, I took my big coat. So I was prepared. But again, welcome back to the show. Um, got another great guest for you guys. Um, you know, just just someone to, to to talk to, just maybe talk about her pivots in life. And, you know, because, you, you know, we, we all have them. You know, I'm not looking for, you know, um, I'm looking for everyday people that I know that are doing doing great things that, you know, we, we all have our challenges in life. We all pivot here and there. We do this. We do that. We try to do, you know, go right. And then life forces us left. You know, like I said, with the pandemic that that forced us all to sort of realize that that, that life is a is a game of pivots. <laughs> and, and and basically, if you can just learn to adapt and ride that wave of life, you, you know, you'll be better off. You know, you know, you don't let one thing crash you. You know, that's the one thing I've always tried to do with my life is when things, you know, hurdles come my way. If I can go over it, I'll go over it. If I can go around it, I'll go around it. But I just don't want it to stop me forever, right? So that's that's one thing we don't want to do. We don't want to allow these pivots to 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 stop us. You know, and my motto, you know, no life is lived in a straight line. You know, and, and when you find a person whose life is lived in a straight line, if you can bring them to me, I would love to interview them. Um, but I haven't met anybody who's done that yet. Um, but I, I do want to bring on another guest, um, a friend of mine. And I was thinking about this. I was talking to my wife about this as well. And it's like, man, we've been knowing Natalie and Eric for 20 years, 20 plus years. And, and it, it amazes me <laughs> when you think about, you know, time flies, you know, time flies. And, and I, you know, and, and you, and when time goes and you get older and, you know, and it's just like, you know, I don't I don't feel any different than I did 
when, when let's say when I first met Natalie, I, I feel the same. I don't I don't feel any different, you know. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe fifty one is the new thirty one. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? But uh, you know, I don't feel any different. I don't I don't think I think it. I don't think I, I do think a little different because I got kids now where I didn't have kids before. You know, but again, I want to I want to bring on our guest, you know, our, our guest, Natalie Bullock Brown. You know, as long as I've known Natalie, she's been into the in, in, into the arts. You know, she's been a producer, a director. You know, she's, she's been a teacher. She's been an educator. You know, she's a parent. You know, she's a wife. And I remember when I first moved here and I started going to Baptist Grove Church and I, I would watch this show called. Um, what was it called? Um Black Black Issues Forum. I would watch that show and I would see this lady on the show. And then and then I would get to church and I was like, there she is. <laughs> and then one time I, I was actually invited to come on to the show, you know, and it, it was great. You know, so so Natalie's done that. I mean, she, you know, she she's she's producing a, a documentary about, you know, the the beauty standards for black girls and black women, you know. You know, I mean, she she's one good thing about Natalie since I've known her. She's been, a, you know, and, and this may sound crazy or corny, but Natalie is a down sister. You know, she, Natalie, Natalie's a down sister, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop talking and, and, and you know, and, and just bring her on because, you know, through the years, you know, we, we've met so many of the same people and we've run into the, some of the same circles and it's just been fabulous knowing her and and knowing her family and, and you know it's just just been a, such a good relationship for the last 20 years i'm going to bring natalie on so mr brown how are you doing <laughs> i'm doing well antoine how are you i'm doing good i'm doing good good so what so what what are you up to nowadays and like i said i mean i think like i said when i was telling the audience that you know we've been knowing each other for 20 years i can't believe that Blow your mind. When we met, we didn't have children. I know. I mean, so then now, that, you know, you're right. 20 years. Yep. 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 And now, now we have 20, 20 year olds. Yep. You know, isn't that amazing? It is. <laughs> it is. It, it doesn't seem right, but yes, it is amazing. Right. So, so, so what are you, what are you doing now? I mean, are you, I know you were doing some work at NC State. I know you were doing some work at St. Aug. So are, are you still teaching? Are you still in the classroom? I am. I've been, this is my fifth year. I'm, I'm finishing up my fifth year at NC State, um, where I teach classes in Africana studies and women, women's gender and sexuality studies. In fact, you will laugh at this maybe, Anton. I am the coordinator of the women's gender and sexuality studies program this year. And after a semester, I promptly told them I will not be that next year. <laughs> <laughs> why, why is that? That's a heavy load, huh? It 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 is because even though you get, um, you get like release time for mm -hmm. your technically you get release time for one class, but what comes along with being coordinator is you have to teach this um, internship class, which is online. You don't have to meet with the students, but you have to grade. And I'd never taught this class before, so. I basically still had the same amount of classes that I was supposed to have that I normally teach. Last semester, I had three classes. Um, and then this semester, because I'm teaching a video production class, I have four classes. So it's it's been a busy, um, it's been a busy year. Um, and I've also just come off of producing um, the film Hazing by director Byron Hurt 
which I spent five years of my life working on. And we just released it, or it was just on PBS last September, 2022. Um, And then I produced another film for Byron that he was commissioned to do by Nova that will hopefully air in 2024. So I'm really like, believe it or not, I'm teaching full time, but I consider myself taking a break from filmmaking because I I just need to regroup. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I I, I checked out Byron's film. I've I've checked out most of Byron's films. Um, I met Byron. Gosh, I met Byron probably. It had to easily be close to close to 15 years ago. Wow. Back in New York. I I was up at the. the Ford Foundation with Daryl and Ethan oh, doing some yes. stuff. Yeah, yeah. and that's mm-hmm. the first time that I met Byron way back when, and uh, you know, and his work, you know, is is great. I mean, I think the, I think that film was about hip hop or something. Beats, yes, yeah, yeah. Beyond Beats and Rhymes. Beyond yeah. Beats and Rhymes. Yeah, love love that film. And then the hazing the documentary was was awesome. It, it, yeah, it, I was about it, to it, ask really. you, what do you think since you are an alpha? Um, it 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 it's it, it, it was all right. It's all it's all right. You know, you know, I mean, you know, I don't I don't know. You know, I, I have this discussion with with some of my brothers all the time. It's like, what makes a good brother? You know, and and, and in my opinion, you know, I don't I don't think hazing does that. Mm-hmm. You know, hazing's not going to make a good brother. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. whether, whether you're hazing them or not, you know, brothers are going to come and go. And it's just like, you know, that that's just kind of uncalled for, you know. But, you know, that was so, a lot of that was before my time. What you do know, you mean? It was before your time. Well, I mean, I, I joined an alumni chapter. Uh-huh. You know, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't join undergrad. Mm-hmm. You know, and an undergraduate. You know, you know, a lot of chapters are doing the things they need to be doing, and so, and some some probably aren't. You know, which which goes back to the reason why he made the film. Yeah. You know, but I mean, you know, but you know, there there are things that happen. You know, even in the graduate chapter level. You know, sadly. You oh, know, but no doubt. You know, it it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't make anybody you know whether you're hazed or not doesn't make you a good omega or a bad omega or a good alpha or a bad alpha. It doesn't. It doesn't. So I agree. You know. So you know it, it's it's it, you know I found the film to be very interesting. Very I'm glad. I'm really gr- You know, and then the young. I think some of the young men in the film lost their lives, and it's just it's just senseless. It is. It makes no it sense is. at all. It doesn't. You know, it but um. Not. You know, are you still teaching at Saint Og, or are you are you mostly? You're going to be at two schools at once. <laughs> and and actually, Antoine, honestly, um, <laughs> which shows how long it's been since we had a real sit down. I I I quit mm-hmm. um, at Saint Og because I'm not going to um, bad mouth. Um, our HBCUs, but we have a lot of issues we need to address. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was basically, I will say that I felt like I was being underutilized, that I was being muted, that I was not valued. And that, um, you know, I, it was like, I was looked at with suspicion um, mm-hmm. when it came to the work that I was doing on on the outside of school, you know, that I was doing professionally. So I started working on hazing in 2017, which is a year before I left St. Og, but so much um, went down at that school that Mm -hmm. made me realize that, um, you know, I, I just was not in a place where 
um, I felt good about going to work. Um, And so it was time to go. And gratefully, um, you know, things opened up at uh, NC State where I had been adjuncting. I had been teaching a class, you know, every fall or every spring um, for like the, the three years prior to me beginning there full time. So I'm just really grateful for mm-hmm. the opportunity to teach at NC State um, because it's, it's just been a different experience professionally. It's not that the school is any better than St. Aug. Certainly mm-hmm. it's better resourced, but I have been really fortunate to land in a department with um, colleagues and even leadership that in in the department I don't I can't really speak to the larger university because I haven't had direct contact with them but in my department it is clear that I'm valued I'm treated like a professional you know like I'm not micromanaged so mm-hmm. I have no complaints wow I'm, I'm so jealous because I, I would love to be a professor really why I not? really I mean, why I not really why don't like, you do it I don't know I, I don't know. I don't. That's I mean, a pivot. That's a pivot, Antoine. That's, that's a major pivot. I know some of my frat brothers were telling me they were like, "Medley, you know, with your master's degree, with your MBA, you can exactly you can you can become a professor." I was like, "Really?" But I'm just like, "Man, I can't." Yes, you can. Why <sighs> can't you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I got. I, I don't know. I don't know. It, I, I haven't. I haven't talked myself into it yet. Oh my goodness! I, I haven't talked about, and, and I know, I know. So, like, I mean, you know, I have a bunch of brothers over at NC State that, you know, that are doing very, very good over there. That they're really, really moving and shaking. You know, in the departments that they're in, they're leading some of their departments. They're, you know, I, I don't know if they're tenured yet, but I mean, but they're just doing really good over there. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll talk myself up to try to do something, some adjunct something, and and see, see where that leads me. You know, I think I would you should love to be. I would love to be a professor. You, you, I, I, I encourage you to pursue that, Antoine, because if you would love to do it, that means that that's that's um, you know, there's something that yeah, that's something you're passionate about, and and um, I don't believe in. I'm like really trying to live my life in a way where I don't have any regrets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm trying to pursue the things that are important to me that I'm passionate about and that I really want to do and, 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 you know, not allow fear or feeling like, you know, I'm going to fail, um, you know, get in my way. So I just encourage you to pursue that because you, you have the credentials, you have the experience and you're a great teacher. You wouldn't have been successful with, um, what was the name of the organization that you did for young boys? The, the Cornell West Academy. Yes, sir. And like that... so I said, I, I work with kids. Like I'm, I'm working with a brand new set of kids right now over at NC State. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got, a, I've got a, a small group of kids. And when I was in my MBA program, there was this, there was this framework and mentality mindset uh, framework that I tripped into called design thinking. Mm-hmm. And basically it's a, it's a, it's a method of way of solving problems. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a problem solving framework mindset, but it's also an innovation framework mindset. And, and I was like, man, I mean, it's like, I hadn't been able to shake it. My, my last sort of my, my, in my last project for school, I actually designed what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. You know, I put together a, a plan to launch this program. And basically it was to introduce young um, black and Brown children um, kids to, uh, to design thinking because it, mm-hmm. it's a it's not too heady for people to 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 
to learn, especially mm-hmm. young young people. So, so I launched it, and we and I've got a group of teenagers that I work with, and uh, you know, we've been we started off by which I was shocked. You know, we had about thirty kids come to our first wow. session, and um, and we're and we're probably down to about sixteen or so. Mm-hmm. And so the plan is, um, our last session will be next weekend, and after that, we're going to actually go and do some work in the community to to problem solve. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and so we, we've talked to talked to Moses. And so Moses is going to let us let the kids possibly come over to the museum and and, and help solve a problem. That's you know? amazing. So um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm shocked that uh, that the kids found interest. And and, and the funny thing about it is majority of the majority of the young people are girls. Wow. Really? And, and, and it's blown me away because I've never worked. The only girls I've ever worked with were my daughters. So, you know, it's just so different working with them versus working with boys because they're, you know, they're chatty. You know, they want to know. They talk. They have questions. You know, boys, on the other hand, sometimes could just want to be want to sit back and not say much. But um, these girls are rolling. And um, and I'm, I'm so I'm so shocked, <laughs> you know, because we're taking this weekend off. And a mom, she texted me earlier. Today. She's like, Eddie said that we had a session. You guys had a session this Saturday coming up. And I was like, no, we're taking a week. She's like, oh, okay. Cause she's just looking forward to coming back. And this, and, and she comes all the way from Durham. Wow. <laughs> you know, wow. And, and, and it's called Sankofa innovations, you know, because again, we want it to be in a, an innovative program for young people. You know, when I, when I think about, um, you know, the, the, the whole fr- framework of design thinking is really is some steps, right? Before you can solve a problem, you have to empathize with your user, right? You got to empathize with them. And then you have to design, define the problem that you're trying to solve. Then you have to ideate. Then you have to prototype. And then you have to test. So those, I love are, that. So those are the steps. And you can use this mindset for anything. Community solve problem solving, building the next iPhone, because all of these innovation tech companies are using this framework. But wow. you can you can use it for anything, you know. And and so I'm trying to teach these kids that you can use it to help solve problems out here in our community. I'm not saying that I don't want one of them to become the next Mark Zuckerberg, but let's use that mindset to to go solve problems in our community. Social justice as opposed to capitalism. Hey, there you go. And and, and another funny thing is I read a study where where, um, they took some kids through this program. It was a mix. It was a very diverse group of kids. And how they measured it, I don't really know. I have to dig back into it. But they measured the empathy level of the kids in the program. So the group of kids that were more empathetic than any other group were black girls. There's a reason for that. (laughs) There is exactly a reason for that, you know, and and I and I and I, and, and that's what's it's sort of like it's kind of leaning me toward wow this study's kind of playing itself out because of the interest in the program by the group of girls that are in the mm. program. It's, mm-hmm. kind of, it's kind of been blowing me away, but but that I can that sounds easily, fascinating. But I can easily see why some of the most empathetic people in the world are black women. I mean, even from the time when they're in school, in elementary school, and in high school. You know, black women have been the empathetic ear of, of the world. Right. And 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 they catch the most hell. Right. <laughs> you know, like like with, with your with your with your um, documentary, you know, about the the beauty standards. Right. You know, when I when I think about that and I'm just like, well, you know, y- you know, we're, we're empathetic, but we're also attacked to to not make ourselves feel good. Right. It's like, who's who's going to be empathetic to us? 
Yeah. And when you think about black girls, who's going to be the empathetic ear to black women and girls? Yep. Yep. You don't, if they don't do it for themselves, who's going to do it? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So absolutely. So yeah, wow. So. I'm gonna. I need to talk to you more offline about that. Um, that framework because okay. I, I'm. I'm. It. It. It sounds like something that would be very useful in the work that. Um, that I have been doing on the side. Um. Um, within documentary filmmaking and and it it just sounds like it it is it's it's a really good model for how to work through problem solving so right. yeah i appreciate you sharing that so so, so what, what's some of the stuff that you've been doing um you know i mean that you're trying to are you trying to um what are you trying to do within the documentary world you know are you trying to to move it in a certain direction yeah. So uh, at the beginning of 2020, so let, let me back up. Um, since I moved to North Carolina, uh, which was in uh, late 2000, I have been involved with an organization that's based in Wilmington, North Carolina called Working Films. And they um, basically they do like they, they are funders on the one hand, like they fund documentary films, but they fund um, films um, that are going to help make an impact on issues. So they fund films on aging, or they have funded films on aging. They've funded films on the environment, and 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 primarily North Carolina based. They've funded films on um, uh, the uh, criminal justice and so forth. Um, and I've been on the board off and on for, or was on the board off and on for like 18 years. And then they invited me to be lead strategist for a um, program that they were starting called Story Shift, which um, basically was um, an exploration into accountable and ethical storytelling. Like basically they wanted to collect best practices of documentary filmmakers, um, BIPOC filmmakers in particular, um, who were basically using a values-based approach to filmmaking to um, create documentaries where there might be trauma, um, where participants in the films, you know, might, might have gone through something that was traumatic or were going through something during the course of the film that was traumatic. Um, and so through that work, um, I became a part of the founding members of an organization that is now called Documentary Accountability Working Group. And there's like eight of us. Um, and we've been working together essentially since, um, I would say February of 2020. And together we released a framework Mm -hmm. um, for accountable ethical storytelling that we just released last September. But we are trying to shift the way that the documentary field um, approaches nonfiction filmmaking. Um, you know, there have been a lot of films over the, uh, oh gosh, I mean, it's it's sort of a, it's sort of innate to documentary filmmaking that there is, um, a lot of extractive, um, there are a lot of extractive practices where filmmakers go into a community, especially a vulnerable one, they tell a story, 
you know, they leave, they don't ever show the film to the participants or the community, you know, they make money or they at least get accolades and the participants are left out of the whole. Everything after of, it. it yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow, wow. And so, um, and, and there are other ways that filmmakers unfortunately have sort of violated and a non-existent code of ethics within documentary filmmaking. Like journalism has a code of ethics. Documentary film doesn't. So it's kind of like anything goes, or it has been, that anything goes to get the story, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, there's an example of a film about um, Anthony Bourdain. You know who he was, right? The CNN yeah, guy. Yeah, traveled who, all the time. Yep. And, you know, um, after he died by suicide, this filmmaker who shall remain nameless made a film about him that's actually pretty good, but it's sullied by the fact that this filmmaker used AI to replicate Anthony Bourdain's voice. And wow. he didn't ask permission of his, you know, of his heirs, of his um, wife, of anybody. And he didn't use a disclaimer in the film, like in the credits that says, I used AI to generate Anthony Bourdain's voice. So he basically, you know, sort of duped the audience into thinking that that was like, whatever Anthony Bourdain says, that, that he said that yeah. in real life, right? And if, and, he, and if he does that in AI, he can do that through the whole film. <laughs> and, and and listen, um, The Diaries of Andy Warhol, which is like a six-part series on Netflix, it does replicate Anthony Warhol, I mean, I'm sorry, Andy Warhol's voice, but up front, it says, AI was used to do this and right. at with the permission of the Warhol Foundation and all of right. that. So right. that's the way to do it ethically. This other filmmaker did not, you know, um, he totally violated um, ethics um, in that regard. So what we've been trying to do is just really create sort of guidelines, um, questions um, that encourage filmmakers to think through the process of of their filmmaking practice before they begin and to think about things like consent um collaboration um taking care of participants and crew and their production team and so forth like really thinking about how can i take the best care and mitigate the most harm during this process. Um, so I'm really proud of this, this work because it is making a difference. We definitely have our haters. We have folk who misinterpret the framework as prescriptive and as us saying that, you know, this is the way you have to do it. And if you don't do it this way, your film is gonna be trash and what have you. And that's not what we're saying at all. We're really mm -hmm. trying to offer you know, a, a thoughtful, intentional way of going through the production process um, that hopefully will help filmmakers feel like, one, that they're not alone because they are, there are other people, you know, going through the, a similar process, but two, that they have some sort of guide because as I said, there are no code, there's no code of ethics within documentary filmmaking. So it's important for, we feel that if 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 the if the documentary field is going to move away from the type of extractive exploitative filmmaking that 
in many instances happens, especially in this age of Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, and so right. forth, then, um, you know, this is, this is our offering. It's not something you have to do, but if, if it appeals to you, if it resonates with you as a filmmaker, here's something that we offer as a resource to help you. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a documentary nut. I'm a, I'm a documentary junkie. And, 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 and it's weird because every time I watch a documentary at the end, I do wonder like, okay, well, what happened? You know, the people that were filmed and, you know, what happened? Mm-hmm. You know, what did what they get with them? Mm-hmm. What did they get out of it? You know, beyond their story being told, what did they get out of it? You know, they, they you know, I'm like, they should have got something. <laughs> I mean, I mean I, you know, you know how, how can how can it, this be done? And then, you know, all these awards, maybe one, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how you make money from a documentary, but it's like very difficult. These very people, challenging. You know, it's like, how, how do they what do they get out of it? Mm-hmm. You know, beyond mm-hmm. beyond their story. Just being mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder that all the time. I'm like I watch I watch a ton of documentaries all the time. Well, I'm, I mean, do you what you are, you know, um, I guess questioning is like a really good instinct about the fact that in many instances, although I think it is changing, um, participants in films do not, they often don't see the film until all the rest of us do. They have no idea how they're being depicted. Um, they don't know how their story is being, is, is going to come across, um, you know, within the working group, um, that I mentioned that I'm a part of, you know, we've heard stories from participants who have good relationships with the directors that they've worked with. And still they've talked about, you know, when they finally got to see themselves on screen as feeling like they were, um, you know, a cartoon character or that the production process made them feel like a dissected frog. And this is in the best of, you know, experiences. So you can only imagine what participants in documentary films feel like when they don't have that sort of good feeling about the directors that they worked with or, you know, are not necessarily being treated in a way that would, that, that, that respects their humanity and the fact that the film can't be made without them, you know? So when I, when I think about, when when I think about what you just said, and I think about design thinking, the one thing about design thinking is this framework is, is, is human centered. Right. Which means the people that you're trying to solve for, mm-hmm. they're sitting right there in it with you. Right. And so they, they, they sit in it with you through the entire process. You know, but uh, but but I'm thinking with a documentary, you know, that, that may be that may be hard to do because I don't know if all that if the editing is going on as you go or is all the editing done at the end. Right. It, so- it, it depends. It, it, it you know, it just depends on the. um the choices of the director. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think it's fair to say that it often happens throughout. Some sort of editing is happening throughout because you, in order for you to raise money within traditional documentary spaces, you have to cut a work sample, which is, you know, like 10 minutes of material that demonstrates what you have, what, you, what you've um, been able to accomplish with the money that you've raised thus far and how the film is shaping up. So, um, you know, there is a way, and I think that's what our framework encourages, figure out ways to collaborate with the people 
that are a part of your film that you can't make the film without throughout right. the process. Right. Talk to them. Right. Because right. they're the experts on their experience. Yeah. So how can you make a film about they're like, the how can I make a the film content, about you? Right. It, they're, it, they're, they're, they're the content. content. So right. you can't. You can't make it without them. Right. Wow. Right. Wow. Okay. Well, that sounds. Yeah, we we should definitely talk. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like we got some things in common yeah, that we're yeah, dealing with. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, I, I could easily see how that that they those two things can sort of overlay each other. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We we can definitely chat about that. But I was telling you that you know, with my job, I work for Discover Discover Financial, and they're headquartered out in Chicago. So. You know, that's what's been keeping me back and forth to Chicago. And I know I know you're from Chicago. Yes. <laughs> and you yep. probably you probably left for the weather, too. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, when you leave, <laughs> when you grow up in a place like Chicago, the weather is like you don't even think about it. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was growing up, I, there were literally days when snow drifts were as tall as I am wow. um, and we still had to go to school. But when you leave that. And then you go back to visit. It ain't no joke. I mean, being yeah. in North Carolina for the past almost 23 years has definitely changed right. the way my body is acclimated to cold weather. <laughs> so I try and avoid Chicago between the months of, I'd say, November and February. And it yeah. starts getting better March and following. So, And, I, and I've probably been up there four times since November. <laughs> 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 so you've been in that crazy weather. Yeah, but luckily it's been it's been from what they tell me it's been very mild. Very very mild. In, I've been in, hearing that too. In, it's in, climate change. Yeah, yeah. And and they're hoping that that it eases on out of the winter, but you know, they're like any moment, you know, we may get 2 feet of snow. So mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know. That so, sounds like Chicago. So I've been trying to, you know, whenever, you know, I on my phone I track I track Raleigh weather and I track Chicago weather. <laughs> I do so too. When I look I at too. when I look at my phone, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm not going next week because they, they got snow last week, and I think it may have snowed um earlier this week. I'm like, I'm glad I didn't go up there. Yeah, so I'm supposed glad. to go the 24th through the 27th to check on my dad. I'm mm -hmm. really, really hoping that it will be mild. <laughs> I'm I'm so praying. I'm praying because so I do I, not want to deal with snow. Yeah. Yeah. So how was how how was it how how was it different from when, when you left Chicago to go to Howard? You know, how, how, where how, was that a big pivot in your life, or were things just mm. status quo from Chicago to, mm -mm. to Howard? Mm -mm. No, not at all. Mm -mm. That was like I, it's so funny that you ask about that because I was telling somebody, a, a friend of mine today, that <clears throat> excuse me, that I had coffee with that going to Howard was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Um, and it partially, it was because, I mean, I think I made the decision to go to Howard and I was encouraged to go to Howard because I went to, you know, I went to, I was in predominantly white spaces, like most of my life. Um, preschool to first grade. I was at a Montessori school. There was, it was a pretty diverse mix of kids, but then I left that school and from second grade until I graduated from high school, I went to a private Jewish affluent, um, you know, school on the North side of Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, and if you know anything about Chicago and I see you are learning um, and you probably know this or have noticed this, Chicago is very segregated. 
Oh, yeah. So, you know, the north side when I was growing up was where white folks lived and the south side was where black folks lived. And I lived on the south side. So, <laughs> you know, going I was leaving my neighborhood and literally taking a Chicago um, public bus to um, my school just about um Maybe not initially. When I was young, I was in a carpool of Black kids who were being driven by this older Black man to Parker. But as I got older, my mom would drive me to a certain point in downtown Chicago. I'd get on the number 22 <laughs> and I would take that bus to Parker and I'd be there, you know, all day and do whatever my extracurricular activities were. And then my mom would come and pick me up and we'd drive back to the south side of Chicago. So then when I graduated from Parker, I went to Northwestern University, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, what, 30 minutes, 45 minutes away from Chicago in Evanston, Illinois. Right. And that's predominantly white. And there was like maybe 10 percent black kids on this campus that had probably 10 to 15,000 students. So by the time I was done with all of that. You were done. You know, but yeah, it was it was time. It was time. And and I'm not even sure that I knew it was time, but I'm so grateful for Duke Jenkins. Um, may he rest in peace, um, who was the dean of the um of of the Office of African American Student Affairs. And he became like a, a second father and a mentor. And he was like, I think you should really consider going to Howard because he he saw something in me that he knew could be addressed by being around other Black people. And I'm going to tell you something, getting on Howard's campus that summer of 1991, like it blew my mind. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. I, I believe it. I believe you it. Know? Because I had never been somewhere where there were so many, like not only smart black people that were my age, but just brilliant, just smart and talented, gifted, amazing young people. Um, and so it really shifted or began to shift because it took time, but it began to shift you know, the way that I thought about myself and I thought about other Black people. Um, and it was such a safe space. Like, I don't think I could have learned filmmaking, which is what I went to Howard to do, and felt like confident in what I was learning that was completely new to me because I was an English major, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't have any sort of production background. So to go to Howard and to be treated like with respect and you know, with love and and in this small program that really nurtured us. I mean, you know, expected a lot from us and was rigorous, but was so much fun. Like, I mean, it was, those were some of the best years of my life, hands down. Right. Um, so it was a pivot, but it was a great pivot. It was right. an amazing pivot. It was not a difficult adjustment. I really took to it like fish to water, honestly. And then I think it it really, you know, because it was a safe space, because I learned so much and I loved my professors and my, you know, classmates, it sort of set the stage or the tone for me to feel confident moving to New York and working 
on, you know, all of the productions that I've worked on since then. Wow. And I know when I did undergrad at Virginia Tech, same thing. You know, it's a handful of us there. You know, this 28,000 person campus and it may be might have been it might have been 2000 of us. You know, and so, you know, so I mean, I, di I didn't go off to to, a, to grad school immediately um, at an HBCU. But when I left it, when I left there, I moved to Atlanta. <laughs> so Blacksburg, Atlanta. Yeah, that's a big Blacksburg, shift. Very big shift. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it, 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 and moving there was it was great. You know, I mean, like you said, just being around so many professional African-Americans was just unbelievable. You yeah. know, and I mean, it, it was a good place to just go and start your career and and, and you're meeting new people and things like that. So, you know, I, I absolutely loved it. Loved it. And I, and I look back on it because I tell I tell I tell Clark and Morgan, I'm like, you know, I got into a and I got into Tuskegee and they were like, Dad, you went to Virginia Tech, though. <laughs> what were you thinking? Of? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking about. You know, it's a um, different time. You know, it, it was it was. I mean, HBCUs were I mean, they, I mean, they, were, they I don't know if they were as popular as they are right now. They weren't. You know, but I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, school days came out and, and, and but it, it just didn't it just didn't it just didn't hit me. To, oh, well, you know, I'm going to Greensboro and going to A&T. Yeah. You know, I, it just it just didn't hit me that way. I got I think I got into Hampton as well. I'm like, I, I just never thought about going going to it. So some of my friends did. A lot of my friends didn't. Yeah. You know? I mean, I yeah. know when I went to Virginia Tech, you know, it was, it, it was probably about 10 of us up there from my hometown. They were black. You know, so it was just we were just they had a pipeline of us going up there. Yep, and same at Northwestern. There were a lot of kids from Chicago that were um, being recruited. I mean, you know, but it was it, they were being we were being recruited by a black admissions director. Mm -hmm. So that made a difference, you know, because right. he was making sure that we were actually, you know, being taken pretty good care of, um, and that's not always. The case, so we were we were pretty fortunate to have that um, have that going on. Yeah, but I know with my with my um, with with my Sankofa Innovations, um, I was working with uh, I'm working with one of our friends Moses at the museum. He he's got a uh, he's got a um, an exhibit coming there. And then we're, we're so so we're working together to to do a screening, 35th anniversary screening of school days at his museum. Oh on, yes, on, yes, yes, yes. On, on, on April 1st. So yeah. you know, so we're 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 looking forward to that. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. He's looking forward to it. And and just gives gives me a little gives my 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 little company a little exposure, you know, um, you know, a little I bit more that. exposure here in Raleigh. So but Nat, look, I'm not gonna keep you. I, I told you I wasn't gonna keep you long. Um, thank you for the conversation. Thank you. Know, you. Uh, I've keep, enjoyed keep, this. Keep keep pivoting. Keep keep doing what you're doing. Allowing people to, you know, to watch your work. So how, how can people find you? So I um, finally um, put up a website maybe three years ago. It's mm -hmm. NatalieBullockBrown.com. I'm on Instagram and um, uh, Twitter at NatalieRaquelBB2. Um, and Facebook, I'm not really feeling these days, so I am rarely on there, but Natalie Bullock Brown is where you can find me. And if you send me a friend request, I will surely, um, add you, 
But that I think my website is probably the best place because that will allow you to send me an email and then we can go from there. Okay. I, I've done the same thing recently. I, I, I built AntoineMedley.com. I saw. You know, a friend of mine was like, man, you better go out there and own your internet real estate. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You you do. You you do. Said, you have to do that. Take it. So, I, so I've done that. And, you know, I'm just trying to do, you know, a number of things. I'm just trying to, you know, sort of get myself out there. You know, I'm holding some workshops coming up, you know, talking to parents about college prep. You know, I just want to let parents cool. know that if your kid's not a, you know, you don't have to be a four three four point three student to get to go to college for free. Nope. You know, Ooh, there, I just, need to shoot. I need to listen to that. <laughs> there's just a strategy. There's a strategy that I put in place and I kind of proved. And I'm like, wow. You know, I need to share this with people. You know, because you know, because the, the, yeah, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> let there's us a, do there's that. A, yeah, we we definitely need to talk. Yes. <laughs> it comes yes. Soon. And everybody, our kids, our youngest yeah. girls are going to school together. And yeah. we, I'm so excited about that. Yeah. Her oldest and my oldest graduated same high school together, same year. They were born, you know, a few months apart. And then our our youngest, same thing, same thing. <laughs> and, and, so and, and now they're playing into room together. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll see how long that lasts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm trying to encourage them to rethink that. Not because it so can't work, but if it doesn't. Yeah. Then that you know, like it. I, I, I'm. I want. We're, them we're doing the same thing. Friends. We're doing, good. We're, good. We're working good. on the same thing over here. Okay. But I will let you go. Thank you for sharing some of the stuff, the wonderful things you've been doing. Thank and, you. Uh, and, and hopefully, people will will definitely reach out to you. I appreciate it, Antoine. All Thanks right. for the opportunity. Talk to you soon. Okay. So hey, folks, that's Natalie Bullet Brown. You know, look her up. Um, definitely check out her webpage. I think she's got some links and things to some of the works and um, documentary work that she's been doing over the years. Um, I think if you do, it'll it'll be it'll be better for you um, to do that. But definitely check out her work. Um, check out the work that she's done with with Byron Hurt on on the hazing documentary. Very very good. Very whether you're Greek or not Greek, go check that thing out. It's very good. As soon as I saw it, you know, about the air on PBS, I was sitting right there watching it the first night. So, so definitely check it out. Um, you know, please subscribe to the show, share it with your friends on all the podcast platforms. Um, let people know about the show. Go listen to some of our, our past shows. I think they've been good. But again, uh, you know, I think this is a good way to jump things off. And again, you know, I'm so happy that Natalie agreed to come on because, like I said, a year ago, a year ago today, we launched our first show. And I'm, I'm so happy that we're still around and, and hopefully I can keep this thing going with all the all the other things that I've got going on. So you guys have a good night and, you know, s- subscribe to us and set it so that when our shows drop, that bell will go off and you'll know that we have a new show out there. I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for joining us. Follow us on all podcast platforms and social media at The Force Pivot. Go subscribe. Share the show with everyone you know. We will be back soon with another awesome episode and guests. Remember, no life is lived in a straight line and we must live, learn, and adapt.